Cal Reynolds shifted his tobacco quid to the other side of his mouth as he squinted down the dull blue barrel of his Winchester. His jaws worked methodically, their movements ceasing as he found his bead. He froze into rigid immobility, then his fingers hooked on the trigger. The crack of the shot sent the echoes rattling among the hills, and like a louder echo came an answering shot. Reynolds flinched down, flattening his rangy body against the earth. Swearing softly, a gray flake jumped from one of the rocks near his head, the ricocheting bullet whining off into space. Reynolds involuntarily shivered. The sound was as deadly as the singing of an unseen rattler. He raised himself gingerly, high enough to peer out between the rocks in front of him, separated from his refuge by a broad level grown with mesquite grass and prickly pear, rose a tangle of boulders similar to that behind which he crouched. From among these boulders floated a thin wisp of whitish smoke. Reynolds' keen eye, trained to sun-scorched distances, detected a small circle of dully gleaming blue steel among the rocks. That ring was the muzzle of a rifle. But Reynolds well knew who lay behind that muzzle. The feud between Cal Reynolds and Esau Brill had been long for a Texas feud. Up in the Kentucky mountains, family wars may have straggled on for generations, but the geographical conditions and human temperaments of the Southwest were not conducive to long-drawn-out hostilities. Their feuds were generally concluded with an appalling suddenness and finality. The stage was a saloon, the streets of a little cow town or the open range. Sniping from the laurel was exchanged for the close-range thundering of six, six shooters and sawed-off shotguns, which decided matters quickly one way or the other. The case of Cal Reynolds and Esau Brill was somewhat out of the ordinary in the first place. The feud concerned only themselves. Neither friends nor relatives were drawn into it. No one, including the participants, knew just how it started. Cal Reynolds merely knew that he had hated Esau Brill most of his life, and that Brill reciprocated. Once his youth, they had clashed with violence and intensity of rival young catamounts. From that encounter, Reynolds carried away a knife scar across the edge of his ribs, and Brill a permanently impaired eye. It had decided nothing. They had fought to a bloody gasping deadlock, and neither had felt any desire to shake hands and make up. That is a hypocrisy developed in civilization, where men have no stomach for fighting to the death. After a man has felt his adversary's knife grate against his bones, his adversary's thumb gouging at his eyes, his adversary's boot heel stamped into his mouth, he is scarcely inclined to forgive and forget, regardless of the original merits of the argument. So Reynolds and Brill carried their mutual hatred into manhood, and as cowpunchers riding for rival ranches, it followed that they found opportunities to carry on their private war. Reynolds rustled cattle from Brill's boss, and Brill returned the compliment. Each raised at the other's tactics, and considered himself justified in eliminating his enemy in any way that he could. Brill caught Reynolds without his gun one night, a saloon at Cow Wells, and only in an ignominious flight, out the back, with bullets barking at his heels, saved Reynolds' scalp. Again, Reynolds, lying in the chaparral, neatly knocked his enemy out of his saddle at 500 yards with a 30-30 slug, and but for the inopportune appearance of a line rider, the feud would have ended there. Reynolds decided in the face of his witness to forgo his original intentions of leaving his covert and hammering out the wounded man's brains with his rifle butt. Brill recovered from his wound, having the vitality of a longhorned bull, in common with all the with all his sun-leathered, iron-thewed breed, and as soon as he was on his feet, he 
came gunning for the man who had waylaid him. Now, after these onset and skirmishes, the enemies faced each other at a good rifle range, among the lonely hills where interruption was unlikely. For more than an hour they had lain among the rocks shooting at each other. Hint of movement neither had scored a hit though. The thirty thirties whistled perilously close. In each of Reynolds' temples a tiny pulse hammered maddeningly. The sun beat down on him, and his shirt was soaked with sweat. Nath swarmed about his head, getting into his eyes, and he cursed venomously. His wet hair was plastered to his scalp. His eyes burned with the glare of the sun, and the rifle barrel was hot to his calloused hand. His right leg was growing numb, and he shifted it cautiously, cursing at the jingle of the spur, though he knew Bro could not hear. All his discomfort added fuel to the fire of his wrath. Without process of conscious reasoning, he attributed all his suffering to his enemy. The sun beat dazingly on his sombrero, and his thoughts were slightly addled. It was hotter than the hearthstone of hell among those bare rocks. His tongue caressed his baked lips. Through the muddle of his brain burned his hatred of Esau Brill. It had become more than an emotion. It was an obsession. A monstrous incubus. When he flinched from the whip crack of Brill's rifle, it was not from fear of death, but because the thought of dying at the hands of his foe was an intolerable horror that made his brain rock with red frenzy. He would have thrown his life away recklessly if by so doing he could have sent Brill into eternity just three seconds ahead of himself. He did not analyze these feelings. Men who live by their hands have little time for self-analysis. He was no more aware of the quality of his hate for Esau Brill than he was consciously aware of his hands and feet. It was part of him, and more than part. It enveloped him, engulfed him. His mind and his body were no more than its material manifestations. He was the hate. It was the whole soul and spirit of him, unhampered by the stagnant and nerviating shackles of sophistication and intellectuality. His instincts rose sheer from the naked primitive, and from them crystallized an almost tangible abstraction, a hate too strong for even death to destroy, a hate powerful enough to embody itself in itself, without the aid or the necessity of material substance. For perhaps a quarter of an hour, neither rifle had spoken, instinct with death as rattlesnakes coiled among the rocks, soaking up poison from the sun's rays. The feudists lay each waiting, his chance playing the game of endurance until the taut nerves of one or the other should snap. It was Esau Brill who broke. Not that his collapse took the form of any wild madness or nervous explosion. The wary instincts of the wild were too strong in him for that. But suddenly, with a screamed curse, he hitched up on his elbow and fired blindly at the tangle of stones which concealed his enemy. Only the upper part of his arm and the corner of his blue-shirted shoulder were for an instant visible. That was enough in that flash second Cal Reynolds jerked the trigger, and a frightful yell told him his bullet had found its mark, and at the animal pain in that yell, reason and lifelong instincts were swept away by an insane flood of terrible joy. He did not whoop exultantly and spring to his feet, but his teeth bared in a wolfish grin, and he involuntarily raised his head. Waking instinct jerked him down again. It was chance that undid him, even as he ducked back, Brill's answering shot cracked. Cal Reynolds did not hear it, because simultaneously with the sound, something exploded in his skull, plunging him into utter blackness, shot briefly with red sparks. The blackness was only momentary. Cal Reynolds glared wildly around, realizing with a frenzied shock that he was lying in the open. The impact of the shot had sent him rolling from among the rocks, and in that quick instant he realized it had not been a direct hit. 
Chance had sent the bullet glancing from a stone, apparently to flick his scalp in passing. That was not so important. What was important was that he was lying out, in full view, where Esau Brill could fill him full of lead. A wild glance showed his rifle lying close by. It had fallen across a stone and lay with the stock against the ground, the barrel slanting upward. Another glance showed his enemy standing upright among the stones that had concealed him. In that one glance, Cal Reynolds took in the details of the tall, rangy figure, the stained trousers sagging with the weight of the holstered six-shooter, the legs tucked into the worn leather boots, the streaks of crimson on the shoulder of the blue shirt, which was plastered to the wearer's body with sweat, the tousled black hair from which perspiration was pouring down the unshaven face. He caught the glint of yellow, tobacco-stained teeth, shining in a savage grin. Smoke still drifted from the rifle in Brill's hand. These familiar and hated details stood out in startling clarity during the fleeting instant while Reynolds struggled madly against the unseen chains which seemed to hold him to the earth. Even as he thought of the paralysis, a glancing blow on the head might induce, something seemed to snap, and he rolled free. Rolled is hardly the word. He seemed almost to dart to the rifle that lay across the rock, so lightly his limbs felt. Dropping behind the stone, he seized the weapon. He did not even have to lift it, as it lay. It bore directly on the man who was now approaching. His hand was momentarily halted by Esau Brill's strange behavior. Instead of firing or leaping back into cover, the man came straight on, his rifle in the crook of his arm, that damnable leer still on his unshaven lips. Was he mad? Could he not see that his enemy was up again, raging with life and with a cocked rifle at his heart? Brill seemed not to be looking at him, but to one side, at the spot where Reynolds had just been laying. Without seeking further for the explanation of his foe's actions, Cal Reynolds pulled the trigger. With the vicious spang of the report, a blue shred leaped from Brill's broad breast. He staggered backwards, his mouth flying open, and the look on his face froze Reynolds again. Esau Brill came of a breed, which fights to its last gasp. Nothing was more certain than that. He would go down pulling the trigger blindly until the last red vestiges of life left him. Yet the ferocious triumph was wiped from his face with the crack of the shot, not to be replaced by an awful expression of dazed surprise. He made no move to lift his rifle, which slipped from his grasp, nor did he clutch at his wound, throwing out his hands in a strange, stunned, helpless way. He reeled backward on slowly buckling legs, his feature frozen into a mask of stupid amazement that made his watchers shiver with its cosmic horror. Through the open lips gushed a tide of blood, dyeing the damp shirt, and like a tree that sways and rushes, suddenly earthward, Esau Brill crashed down among the mesquite grass and lay motionless. Cal Reynolds rose, leaving the rifle where it lay. The rolling grass-grown hills swam misty and indistinct to his gaze. Even the sky and the blazing sun had a hazy, unreal aspect, but a savage content was in his soul. The long feud was over at last, and whether he had taken his death wound or not, he had sent Esau Brill to braze the trail to hell ahead of him. Then he started violently, as his gaze wandered to the spot where he had rolled after being hit. He glared. Were his eyes playing him tricks? Yonder in the grass, Esau Brill lay dead, yet only a few feet away stretched another body. Rigid with surprise, Reynolds glared at the rangy figure, slumped grotesquely beside the rocks. It lay partly on its side, as if flung there by some blind convulsion, the arms outstretched, 
The fingers crooked as if blindly clutching. The short cropped sandy hair was splashed with blood, and from a ghastly hole in the, in the temple, the brains were oozing. From a corner of the mouth seeped a thin trickle of tobacco juice to stain the dusty neckcloth. And as he gazed, an awful familiarity made itself evident. He knew the feel of those shiny leather wristbands. He knew with fearful certainty whose hands had buckled that gun belt. The tang of the tobacco juice was still on his palate. In one brief destroying instant, he knew he was looking down at his own lifeless body, and with that knowledge came true oblivion.